Good morning. Welcome once again to Calvary Baptist. I'm Ron Hudson, the lead pastor. This is week three of our series, Becoming Incredible. The series has been all about how do we honor Christ in family? How do we do family in a way that honors Christ? So we're going to start with a clip, and then uh, we'll talk about it. intense. In this clip, Violet fails. It seems everything is at stake. The life of her brother, the life of her mom, their ability to save dad. Everything is at stake in this moment. And Violet, all she has to do is put a force field around the plane. And she fails. She absolutely fails. Her family really, really needs her to step up. And she tries, but ultimately she's unable to do what her family needs, desperately needs her to do in the moment. She's unable to be who her family needs her to be in this moment. She's wearing the incredible suit. Everybody around her knows that she could do this or believes that she could do this. And they think she's capable of it, but when she tries, she fails. Remember last week we said that hope is not a feeling. Hope is a way of thinking that Christians lean into that we have because we have Christ in us, and because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And this week we'll see how Violet discovers her identity and how we can use hope to discover ours. So, have you ever failed when somebody really needed you? When I'm not talking about just like a little failure, I'm talking about a big failure. When someone was counting on you, when someone you care about was counting on you to be something or to do something. Maybe your child needed you to be present. And before you realize that they're already walking away and you were looking at your phone and you're like, I've missed this moment. They had a question and now they're, they're frustrated because I care more about Facebook than them. Maybe your parents wanted you to bring home A's and B's and you really tried. 
you really thought, I'm going to get the A's and D's, but then nine weeks have passed, and oh, it's report card time, and the report card in like plain ink says, you did not measure up. You didn't get it. You didn't live up to your potential. Someone needed you to be loyal, and you didn't mean to, but before you knew it, you were in a conversation saying something that was shared in confidence that you weren't supposed to, talking behind someone's back. And I can't take those words back. You swore you would never be like your parents. You would never do that to your kids. But here you are again, screaming at your own flesh and blood. Right? I'll never be like that. And then, you meant every word on your wedding vows. I mean, you really meant them. You stood maybe on this altar here. Many of you were married here and you looked into their eyes and there was the tears and the crying and the songs and the candles and the sand and whatever crafts you did. A lot of arts and crafts and weddings nowadays. <laughs> you really meant the words, but you haven't bought your wife flowers. You haven't had a meaningful conversation or left a note with this person that was your best friend or that you really committed your life to in years. And it's like, what? What happened? What happened? You bought a promise ring when you were a teenager. You committed your body to Jesus. You said you would be pure till marriage. But now, you don't even recognize that person anymore. You know what God has said about sex? You know what God has said about our bodies, about sexual identity, but the desires inside of you are relentless. And all too often, you just cave in. And you know it's wrong, but you give in anyway. Sin. That's what it's called when we know what God says is good, and we don't do it. Or when we know what God says is harmful, but we do it anyway. It's called sin. So what does that say about who you are? What does that say about who you are if you sin? If you fail, if you let the people who are counting on you down, if you let your family down, what does it say about who you are? Are you a follower of Jesus or just a pretender? The Foo Fighters have a song. It doesn't mean I endorse all the Foo Fighters, but they have a song. It's just been stuck in my head all week thinking about the pretender. And the lyrics start, keep you in the dark. You know they all pretend. Keep you in the dark, and so it all began. Send in your skeletons as their bones go marching in again the need you bury deep the secrets that you keep are ever ready the secrets that you keep what are the secrets that you keep there's a scene that plays over and over in my head we're sitting in a ford tempo okay how many of you had a ford tempo wow god bless you <laughs> we're sitting in a ford tempo i'm about 10 years old and we are in a church parking lot of a church we've never been to. My parents were missionaries, and so we had to travel from place to place. We'd go to churches and share uh, what we wanted to do in Japan, what my parents wanted to do in Japan, that, and ask the church, like we've had missionaries here, to come and support our family, to give money to support our family so we could go to Japan and tell people about Jesus. And before we would go in, my mom would turn around in the car, you know, right? She had a spoon, too, that could reach all three places of my older sister, my younger sister, and me. <laughs> well, she would be in the passenger seat, so it would be more like this, you know. But she would turn around in the car, and she'd say, now, Ronnie Lee, 
Some of you have met my mom. She has a very thick southern accent. Now, Ronnie Lee, I need you to be on your best behavior. Okay? I need you to be on your best behavior. This is really important. And my mom is a loving, kind person. And what my mom meant to say, what she was trying to say was, be conscientious of your actions and make a good first impression. Which is fantastic advice for any child. And I respect that. And I've probably given the same talk to my sons. But over and over I would have this, now Ronnie Lee, you be on your best behavior. And what I heard at 10 years old was I, that what I internalized was I need you to pretend to be good. I know you're a bad kid and I love you because I'm your mom. But they won't love you. They won't accept you unless you pretend. That's what I internalized. Why else would I, of all the three kids, be the only one to get the talk? Right? And I internalized this. They won't love you. They won't accept you unless you pretend. And I internalized this identity of I'm a bad kid pretending to be good. And I carried that with me for a long time. I lived much of my life believing I am loved and accepted because I pretend. Because I pretend, I'm loved and accepted. And if I weren't so good at pretending, or if I ever let somebody see behind the curtain, then the love and acceptance will go away with my pretending. But the secret was that I'm a bad kid. What's your secret identity? What is that identity that you carry inside of you that you hear and maybe you've never articulated it because you haven't done the work to kind of peel that back and pull it apart and see where it came from? Maybe you relate with some of these. I'm bad for feeling this way. I'm dirty. I'm ugly. I'm not good enough. I'm not who I should be. Maybe you think you're the golden child and everything you do is good. Maybe you're the slut or the jock or the nerd, or the aloof dad, or the artsy creative, the loner, the incel, the Republican, the Democrat, the avant-garde, or the academic, which is different from the nerd, right? You're the perfect mom. Maybe you're the butch woman, or the effeminate man. You're the dumb blonde, or the backwards racist, or the uneducated but wise, or the old sage, or the powerful monarch of your family. Whatever mask you wear is how you see others and how you think they see you, and you act accordingly. It's a filter that, that everything you do and every interaction you have with everyone else, you filter through that, that mask, whatever you carry and what you wear. In Ephesians, Paul addresses this type of identity crisis. In the New Testament times, there were two groups of people. There were God's people who were the Jews, and then there was everybody else. And everybody else was called Gentiles. We're God's people who were the Jews, and then everybody else. And in the early church, they struggled with this a lot. Some thought that those who were Gentiles, that would be all of us, unless you're, you're a Jew this morning, some thought that all of us, the Gentiles, were hopelessly separated from God unless... We became Jewish in our culture and in our behaviors and in our actions. 
And that's what some people in the church believe. And even the Jewish believers in Christ, many of them continued in their same Jewish culture and tradition. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, 6. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And Paul is talking about how he has been given a grace, he's been given a ministry, and he's going to describe this ministry. This ministry is, it was hidden, but now it's revealed. In verse 6, he says what that ministry is. This, this revelation that God gave to Paul. That the Gentiles, that's you and me, those of us who are not Jewish, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the Gospel. Now, it's hard for that to mean something to you because you don't think of yourself as a Jew or Gentile, probably. I don't really see myself in that light. But for the Ephesians, this was a huge deal. Paul is explaining a mystery. The mystery is something complex that takes time and contemplation, thought, and practice to understand. And what he's saying is those who were separated from God, those who we thought were separated from God, are not. Not only is mercy and grace shown to those who everybody else thought was separated to God, but the full privileges of being a part of God's family is granted even to them. The Gentiles are not treated like second-class citizens to God. And it's not like He's just pitied them and, and you know, thrown them a bone. They're full members of God's family as God always intended it to be. You are not a consolation prize for God. You're not. You're not a consolation prize. You didn't get into God's family on a technicality. You didn't trick your way in. You're not here because you've managed to fool somebody. You might think you are, but you're not. You were invited to God's family because that was His plan before you were born. And He knows your secrets. He knows your failings and He still welcomes you. In verse 7, he says this message was given to him. And then in verse 8, he goes on. It says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, in this grace given, that I should preach unto the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent, and this is the purpose, that he has this ministry that he shares, what he does. This is why he shares the mystery. To the intent unto the principalities and powers in heavenly, in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The hope that Paul is talking about and offering here is that all people come to the knowledge and understanding of the fullness of what God has done in Jesus Christ. That every person comes to the knowledge and understanding of the fullness of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And some of you might be thinking, well, what's that guy to do? I don't understand. And that's why Paul's whole ministry existed, to help you understand. And this knowledge and understanding comes through the church. It comes through the church following and seeking after the wisdom of God for what we say and what we do. It is through 
what the church says and what the church does, that the fullness of Jesus will be known even to the most powerful. It talks about principality. And just like the church is our place to learn and grow together, Violet is learning that her family is a place that she can learn and grow together. Let me show you another clip. I think your father is in trouble. If you haven't noticed, Mom, we're not doing so hot either. I'm going to look for him. And that means you're in charge until I get back, Violet. What? You heard her. Put these on. Your identity is your most valuable possession. Protect it. And if anything goes wrong, use your powers. But you said never to I know what I said! <sighs> Remember the bad guys on those shows you used to watch on Saturday mornings? Well, these guys are not like those guys. They won't exercise restraint because your children, they will kill you if they get the chance. Do not give them that chance. Mom. Bye. I'm counting on There's you. Something I I'm counting on you. Be strong. Dash, if anything goes wrong, I want you to run as fast as you can. As fast as I can? As fast as you can. Stay hidden. Keep each other safe. I'll be back by morning. What happened on the plane? I'm I'm sorry, Auntie Deb. I mean, when you asked me to, I'm sorry. Shh. It isn't your fault. It wasn't fair for me to suddenly ask so much of you. But things are different now, and doubt is a luxury we can't afford anymore, sweetie. You have more power than you realize. Don't think, and don't worry. If the time comes, you'll know what to do. It's in your blood. Violet is wrestling with a partial identity. It's so interesting. Mom says, your identity is your most prized possession. Protect it with all your life. And Violet is like, I can't do this. I can't, I couldn't do the whole plane and the force field and what am I going to do? And Violet is sure, she is absolutely 100% sure, completely convinced that she is not enough. She has proof, you know, where the whole family blew up. She has proof she's not enough. She doesn't have what it takes to be enough. She has to talk to her mom. So she runs out and she talks to her mom. And what does mom say? You don't, it's okay. It's okay. It was wrong of me to ask so much of you. But just relax, Violet. You don't have to be incredible. Is that what she says? You don't have to be incredible? No, she doesn't. In fact, we would walk out of the movie if, if Helen went up to Violet and said, I understand, you feel like you can't do this. Don't worry about it, just hide. <laughs> no, she gives her a pep talk. She says, you, doubt is not a luxury that we have right now. This movie was a direct commentary on a culture that said everybody is great just the way you are. This was uh, released about 15 years ago in 2004. They were really playing with this concept of everybody is fine just the way you are. The philosophy that says don't do anything that makes you uncomfortable 
Because your true self is determined by what you want and what makes you feel comfortable and you feel safe. Don't do anything that makes you feel unsafe or uncomfortable. That was a cultural teaching. Many of you might still feel that. Maybe you've made decisions. This was 15 years ago, so in the last 15 years, maybe you made decisions based on that. And now you're dealing with the fallout of that kind of life. Helen doesn't tell her daughter, it's okay, you don't have to be incredible. She tells her daughter, you have more power than you think. You have more power than you think. When the time comes, you will know what to do because it's in your blood. It's in your DNA. And Paul is also saying to us in Ephesians chapter 3, you have more power than you think. Paul prays for them in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at his prayer. He says, my prayer is that you would be, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to what? To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened. Paul is praying that God would strengthen your inner person. That God would grant you to be strengthened in your inner person. It's going to take strength to be incredible. To be a follower of Jesus. And my identity as bad kid pretending to be good, it just wasn't able to help me be a dad. That identity is too small. It's too weak. It's too empty. It's not able to help me in my career. It's just not a fully fleshed out identity. It's just a partial identity. It's something that informed who I am, but could never define who I am. But Paul says, He prays that they would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. You might think that having Christ live in your heart and do what he does is easy. That it's going to feel good. But it's not easy. It's hard. It's scary. It's dangerous. It's risky. Because it's going to cause you to have to make different decisions in your life. It's going to cause you to to maybe say no to a job offer so that you can lean into being the dad or the wife that you need to be. It's going to cause you to say no to friendships because people, places, and things are not good for you and you're trying to recover from that. It's going to cause you to live differently, to talk differently, to act differently. It's going to cause you not to cut corners at work and get made fun of for it. It's going to cause you to do the hard thing that sometimes will get you fired. It means standing up for someone. It means showing up in the mess when other people are broken. It means doing good when everyone else expects you to just, "Eh, don't worry about it. Why would you put yourself through that? And all the identities that we talked about before that you carry, those secrets, those beliefs about yourself that are partial identities, they inform who you are, but they're just not powerful enough to actually hold who you really are. And Paul goes on, he prays, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
When you try to make a partial identity your whole identity, maybe it's workaholic or like good at my job or uh, perfect mom. When you try to like really be in that, in that identity or like mix or fix it, like I can, I can fix anything. Like it doesn't have to be a bad identity. But if we pick a piece of ourselves that seems like it informs who we are and we try to make that our whole identity, then there's problems. That's what Bob did. Bob, for weeks, has been trying to make Mr. Incredible his whole identity, and it's the whole time he's losing out on dad and husband and the incredible, full-fleshed human being that he could be if he would just realize the opportunity and the people that are around him. But instead, he's, he's running and escaping and chasing after so many other things that cannot fulfill because he's trying to have this identity be who he is. A partial identity cannot hold you. So God has given you and your family the church. This place. Not just a place, but a people. The church. So that like Violet, you can learn to integrate the parts of you and discover your true whole self in Christ. Your true identity is found in the struggle. Your true identity is found in the struggle as you try to take your next step in Christ. And if you're not trying to take your next step in Christ, then you're not discovering who you are in Christ. And you're probably living still with a partial identity. What is the next step in Christ? It just means whatever God and the Holy Spirit is telling you to be obedient in. Well, I, I should do this thing, but it'll be difficult. I shouldn't live with my boyfriend. I shouldn't live with my girlfriend. I should... We should stop sleeping together because we're not married. That would be a step of obedience. Well, that's hard, and everybody, yeah. Your next step. I know I should give, and I feel like God's telling me I should give, but I, that's hard. It's hard. I know maybe you're in recovery, and you're like, I know I should go to meetings every day. They tell me, but I, I don't, do I really need to go every day? I'd be healthy. I want to be whole. God's telling you to read your Bible and you're like, oh, I'm just so tired and Facebook is there and it's one more episode on Netflix. What is it? What is the thing? What is the next step of obedience? Maybe God's told you to get baptized or to ask Christ into your heart or to forgive somebody. We have communion coming up and that's kind of scary for some people because we take communion really serious. You're not supposed to take communion unless you're good with the people in your life. Unless you don't have beef made amends you've asked forgiveness as best you can and given forgiveness maybe that's your next step and when you fail when you fail here at church we say it's okay it's okay but we don't stop there we say it's okay i understand but doubt isn't a luxury we can afford right now you have more power than you realize it's in your blood because you are a child of god and we are the family of god i remember when lucas was like a little little guy and um he was trying to ride a bike for the first time he had the little training wheels on and he got a little i don't know if it was the tricycle or the training wheel bike he got a little ambitious and he came all the way down the driveway this was when pastor joe lived in connellsville he came all the way down the driveway and he's going too fast and you know he doesn't know how to stop 
You had to be like, I don't know, seven or younger. And he just wiped out. I mean, he did not land well. He landed on his head or his face or a combination of, of all the above. He got some scrapes and he starts crying. Uh, and I'm like, oh man, it's, you, are you having fun on your bike, buddy? <laughs> no, I'm never riding it again. Never, right? Which seems like the valid, smart choice that any person would make. This thing hurt me. I'm not getting back on. Only dumb people ride this. I have two perfectly good legs. But I, I took him, and I got down on his level, and I said, listen, buddy, you're a Hudson. I, I think I remember saying, what's your name? Lucas. I'm like, what's your whole name? Lucas Lee Hudson. <laughs> and I'm like, that's right. You're a Hudson. You know what that means? No, I don't know what it means. <laughs> we don't ride bikes. <laughs> You're a Hudson. You know what that means? We don't quit. We try again. Even when it's hurt, even when it's hard, get back up. We're a Hudson. I don't want to be Hudson. <laughs> I don't remember what he said, but I remember feeling like really powerful as a dad. Like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. But it's true. That same talk that many of you have given your family, we don't do that. You caught your kid or your friend or your brother or your sister bullying somebody, being unkind to somebody, gossiping, being mean, and you said, listen, we don't. We don't talk to each other like that. We don't do that in this home. That is not how we behave. I don't care if your youth pastor says that word. We don't say that word, right, Nancy? <laughs> we don't act like that in this home. Why? Because that's who we are. That's our blood. And when you fail as a church, we will say it's okay that you failed. But doubt isn't a luxury that we have right now. You have more power than you realize. It's in your blood because you're a child of God. And we are the family of God. So, let's see how Violet learns this lesson. I know you're there, little Miss Disappear. You can't hide from me. There you are. Becoming incredible means being the family of God. Violet, when the moment came where her brother was going to die, where she was going to do something, what did she do? 
Did she say, well, I didn't do it last time. And last time I tried, I failed. So, I'll just let him die. Now, some of you who have brothers, you might think that's a good plan. But she didn't do that. She didn't do that. It would have been so easy to be like, oh, I can't do the force field. She tried. She tried again. And this time it worked. This time she was able to tap into a power that she did not know she had, that she didn't have before, that didn't work before, but she tried again. And as we struggle together as a church, as a family, that we learn, we learn, the thing we learn is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. We discover how vast and how big and how improbable and how reckless and how amazing God's love really is. And how it's going to come out differently in different people. And how you're going to show God's love in a way that your family didn't think was possible, your friends didn't think was possible. That's not who you are, but it is who you are. It's who you were always meant to be. And it's through this love that the fullness of God is able to dwell in the church. It is through this power that the church is able to do the things that no one else dreamed possible. It is through the church that you discover who you really are. And becoming incredible means we accept who we truly are. All the pieces, everything. We accept who we truly are. We stop denying in those moments of weakness. We stop escaping in those moments of desire where it would just be easy to escape. And instead, we embrace the truth that we are family, we are the church, and we are incredible. So, I'm going to ask if everyone could bow their head, close their eyes this morning as we close. I want to ask, just in a few moments before I pray, No one's looking around. We have some privacy. What is the secret identity that you've carried that's not so so nice? Not so incredible? Perfectionist? Slut? A jock? Idiot? Bad kid? Pretender? What is the thing? Too ugly? Too fat? too broken you're not enough what is the thing that you've carried or that you're good enough just just fine you know and i don't need to change i don't need to grow what is the thing that you've carried that's not enough for your whole identity to exist in those pieces of our identity are just not enough to hold all of who God has destined us to be. And so, we have to acknowledge those parts. We have to be honest about it. And then we have to say, God, I'll let you do whatever you want with these parts. I will let you transform them. I'm going to pray this morning. Before I do, I want to ask, maybe today your next step is to ask God to forgive you. Say, God, I've sinned. The first step in becoming a member of God's family, what we call salvation or the gospel, is simply confessing that you have messed up, that you have sinned. 
asking Jesus to forgive you and to come into your heart and lead you, walk with you, dwell you. So if that's what you want to do this morning, I'd love for you to pray with me before we pray together. Just right where you're at. You don't have to pray loud or anything. If you want to ask God to come into your life, be a part of God's family, pray with me. Dear God, I know I've messed up. I know I've done wrong. Please forgive me. Please come into my heart and save me. Save me from my partial identities. Save me from the pieces that have consumed my my life. God, I'm willing to struggle. I'm willing to struggle with you as I walk in obedience. Please forgive me. Please come into my heart. Jesus' name. Now, no one's looking around. If you prayed that with me this morning, if you asked God to come into your life, would you raise your hand? Say, Pastor Ron, I prayed that. That's awesome. That's so cool. Anybody else? That is awesome. I want to pray for you this week. Close in prayer. Dear God, I pray that we would realize that struggle is part of it. The struggle as a church, as we wrestle together, as we figure out what it means for us to take our next step of obedience, it's painful and it's messy, that we would learn how to do that in our own individual lives and corporately, that we would lean into what it means to be the body of Christ here in Uniontown, to serve our community, to run towards the mess, to be a light on the hill, to tell people about the hope that is available in Jesus Christ. God, forgive us when we've let an identity consume us. Forgive us when we've, it seems like we've wasted time. But God, we trust you. We trust your power. We don't want to doubt you in this moment. We want to trust you and lean into hope. Thank you for making us incredible in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.